0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. And like I said, this message has has resonated powerfully within my heart because if I want to be honest and transparent before you I need to say that in my own life I see a disparity between what I say I believe and that which I've considered come to consider to be normal and I think we can all relate to that in some way I do believe these things I do believe it and I say I believe it but what is the evidence what is the outworking of that what is that if 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 I truly do believe that what does it look like in my life? If I truly believe that Jesus heals, when was the last time I prayed for somebody who was sick? Because heck knows, we, we, we're seeing a lot of those people these days. If I truly believe that I was completely forgiven, why is it that I still struggle with shame or, or, or feeling unworthy or condemnation. You, you understand these, these feelings that, and these, these things that we see, these disparities. And if I'm a very honest as well, and I'm sure you would like to come into my little circle of honesty so that you're not standing there pointing your fingers at me, but now we're all pointing fingers at each other. When we look at ourselves as a spiritual family, I also see a disparity between the values that we have imprinted and blazoned up on our walls and the reality of what our experiences look like when we come together where we say we value and we welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we do. But yet there's there's room to grow, is the point I'm making. I see in my heart there's another level. And I see that in our joint and shared experience, there's another level. But you know what else I see? I see a hunger and a desire. The same within you. There's a deep desire within me to remedy this problem. To do something about it. To look at it and say, you know what, so many of these things I say I believe, that things that I say I value, maybe I've walked in them to a measure up to now, maybe I've walked in them in a measure in the past, but if I'm honest with myself, I realize I've got a long way to go. And I want to grow, I want to shift into these things, and I want to press in, and I know that you do as well. Much of what I've shared concerning the subject, from cliche to character, has to do over the past couple of weeks with, with our internal life, our hearts and with our minds, what it is we believe, what it is we truly think. Wrestling, uh, the, the wrestling that we face between the expectation that God's Word paints for us versus natural probability. We all reason according to natural probability, but yet the Word of God paints for us a different picture. And we've got to wrestle between those two. And until we arrive at the place of deep inward conviction... As we've spoken about in the past couple of weeks, nothing really changes. We can know about the stuff without really being shifted or impacted. But here's something interesting, and this is kind of where this morning kicks off. Here's the realization that I've had, and this is the realization why we're, we're still camping on this subject. Every example... Although over the past two weeks we've been talking about our thinking concerning the words of God, our heart concerning the words of God, taking this from just being cliche or something that we know to something that deeply impacts us, changes us, moves us into the likeness of Jesus, although we've been speaking in those areas, every example that I've used has actually had practical outworking. We looked at the life of Joseph. God painted a picture for him. And he had to live that out and walk that through with all the struggling and trials that came with it. We looked at Abraham and Sarah. We started with Abram and Sarai. And their journey of 25 years of grappling and struggling with what God said, this is what I'm going to do for you, this is what I'm going to make you, versus the reality and towards the end of their own bodies, of their own inability. There was a practical outworking with Abraham and Sarah. Let's put it very bluntly. They had to conceive somehow. There was a practical outworking that needed to take place. We looked at the Israelites at the Red Sea. They practically came out of Egypt. They practically shivered in their boots. And they practically, not practically, literally walked through the Red Sea. Then they came to the Jordan and they sent out the spies. And we see again, the whole nation plus ten of the spies were quivering in their boots saying, oh no, we can't do this. But there were two, Caleb Caleb. And Joshua, who said, "No, no, 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 no," we're of, they were. They were the Bible says they were of a different spirit, and they said, "We can do this." Why? Because God is with us, and they are the only two from that entire generation that went into the promised land forty years later. Forty years. Joseph, seventeen. Abraham and Sarah, twenty-five. Caleb and Joshua, forty years. Imagine what they must have been thinking and feeling for those 40 years wandering around the wilderness. I don't believe their conviction changed at all. Because Caleb, when he was 80 years old, said to Joshua, give me this mountain. I have as much strength in my 80s as I do, as I had in my 40s. Ah, there was a man who was up for the challenge. Again, we see the same thing. We looked at the example of Peter walking on water. There was a practical expression. That which was within him Found a way out. We looked at the disciples cast, trying to cast out the epileptic spirit. So I don't want to go into all of the, the, the examples that I've made, but the point I want to make is this: the evidence that the Word of God has become more than a cliche inside our hearts, and that we have actually been changed by it, is that we walk in a new and in a different way. You see, we can change the way our th- we think; we can change the way we're thinking without change the way we're living, and that it'll somehow have an impact in our lives. But the Bible is actually really clear that that's a deception. And it's a self-deception. What does it mean to be deceived? It means you think that that something is true and that it's right and that it's working and that it's effective. Whereas in reality, it's not. The reality is you are living a lie. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me. We'll put it up on the screens as well for your benefit to the book of James, chapter 1. I've got a few scriptures I'm going to share with you today, James 1. We're going to read from verses 22 to 25. And it says this, from the New King James, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's pause for a moment. If you think about this in the context that it was ministered, In those days, rabbis had a group of people that they would teach. What were they called? Anybody know? They were called disciples. Jesus had 12 of them. There's another fancy word, but we're not going to go into all of that today. They were his disciples. And what was the role of a disciple? A disciple was not just to sit and learn like you do at school. A disciple sit, learned, modeled, copied, allowed himself to be changed and transformed into the likeness of the one he was following. So it says here, Be doers of what I'm teaching you, in essence, and don't just hear about it, deceiving yourself. He goes on to say, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, in other words, works with it, grapples with it, wrestles it, applies it, lives it out and walks it out, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What does the word blessed mean? The word blessed, in essence, means empowered to prosper. You are enabled to do that which God is speaking of, what that word promises. When you sit yourself to working it out and walking it out, God adds His blessing to it to make that which is improbable and sometimes impossible a reality for you and in your life. But it doesn't happen when we think about it. It doesn't happen when we just believe it in our hearts. It happens when we are so moved and our conviction has reached the place of such maturity that we actually step out in faith and trust it wholeheartedly. That's when we know that this has become more than a cliche to us. When I'm willing to read what it says and actually do it. Where it tells me to to love my enemy and do good, do good, that's a doing word, an action to those who spitefully use you. All right. I will. That's when we open it up and it says, forgive those who sin against you. Otherwise, I'm not going to forgive you. And instead of going, but Lord, do you remember what they did? Do you know? You say, all right, I'll do it. Where it says, I want you to go, and I want you to preach the good news, and I want you to do this. And you don't go, oh, you go, all right, I'm going to do it. And I mean, there's so many examples. I'm I'm just speaking off the top of my head, but there is a response that the Word of God requires of us that in some instances I think we're numb to because we're so familiar with what it says that it's, oh, we know that verse. Yeah, we know that verse, and we carry on with our lives. But actually, the truth is, does that verse really know us? (laughs) Have we been properly acquainted? David Guzik, who is a, a biblical commentator, says this concerning... Uh, The scripture we've just read. A healthy person looks in the mirror to do something, not just to admire the image. A, A normal person. Some people do look at it just to admire the image. But you'd have to be seriously vain to do that. The purpose of looking in the mirror is so that I can do this in the mornings. Because if I don't put gel in my hair, I look like a tennis ball. That's just how God made me. So this is for your sake. And the reason the ladies sit there and they do all of this stuff and they paint is because they'd look a mess if they didn't have the mirror. Even so, a healthy Christian looks into God's Word to do something about it. Not just to store up facts that he will not put to use by being a doer of the Word. See, Bible studies are good. How many of you have been blessed by, by Craig and Siobhan and Stephen's Bible study? I know there's a number of you are logging in week after week. And Siobhan runs another Bible study as well. You're blessed. We're learning. But what's the point of all we get is facts? Charles Spurgeon said, uh, gave an analogy. He said, when Donald came out of church sooner than usual, Sandy, his wife, said to him, what, Donald? Is the sermon all done? No, said Donald. It's all said, but it's not begun to be done yet. I like that. Great analogy. Now, I often yoke this verse as I've, 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 I've preached on this verse many times because Something came alive in me when I realized that when I I study the Word and I get the Word in but I don't apply it, I am literally deceiving myself. And then I begin to look around as a pastor and I see a bunch of people who who come and I I, I counsel them and I give them what the Word of God says concerning their situation. And they say, yes, I know, but. And we realize how, how much and how often we know, but. But we know better. And there's this wrestling, there's this unbelief, where we consider two varying opinions as though they hold equal weight. They don't. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty four to twenty five. I'll read it from the message. It says, These words I speak that I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build your life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, the tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Say fixed. You see, the rock cannot be shaken. Everything else gets shaken. But that which is fixed to the rock stands. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life... You're like a stupid carpenter, yes, that's hectic, Yo, who built his house on Sandy Beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. And I, I realize that this is the danger, that all of us who've been believers for many, many years, we're susceptible to this. It happens when God's word becomes just so familiar that it no longer impacts us. And folks, here's the difference. There's a difference between familiarity and intimacy. I am familiar with just about everybody here. In fact, with everybody here. I'm familiar with all of you. I'm intimate with my wife. There's a big difference. Say hallelujah, praise God for that. (laughs) You see, the two become one flesh. Adam knew Eve and they conceived. What is it talking about there? It's not, oh, that's Eve and she conceived. No, there's a deeply intimate knowing that the Bible there talks about. It's the difference between knowing about something and being intimately connected about some, with something. And the same with someone. It's a, good, it's a good analogy to make. My wife and I are one flesh. Similar example. We know about electricity, but knowing about it doesn't give access to its power. You need to plug something in. You've got to be plugged in and switched on. There needs to be a proper connection. And likewise, knowing what the Word of God says does not mean that its power is at work in us. And so this transition from cliché to character is made in the arena of application. Remember I spoke to you last week um, about this war that goes on? The war that goes on and, and the best place to fight, one of the best strategies in fighting this war is to cut off the source of supply. If you cut off the supply lines to that which contradicts the Word of God and you continue to feed the supply to the Word of God, in the, the supply of the Word of God to your heart, your heart will begin to change. You will begin to conform to its image and likeness. Your convictions and your faith will begin to align with what the Word of God says. But that does need to translate to something and that's what I'm talking about today. And... Much of what I share, I realize over the past three weeks, there's a, there's a repetitive rhythm to what I'm saying. But it's amazing to me how... Uh, let me put it to you this way. I, I'm a guitarist, as you know, and when I was younger, I used to learn how to tune my guitar by ear. And when you start getting two strings that are very close in pitch, you hear the repetitive vibration of the sound. Sound is vibration, and it's repetitive. It's cyclic. And so, just to be rudimentary, just with, I'll make the sounds with my mouth to give you an idea. If I'm tuning my, my two strings and I'm holding an A here and I'm tuning the next string to an A, for example, when they are getting closer together, you can start hearing the sound going ow 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 ow, and as they get closer and closer, you go ow, you can hear the vibration until they're perfectly in tune, and then there's no, it's just ah. Whether that's an A or not, I don't know. But you get the point? There's a cyclic rhythm. There's a rhythm that, that 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 repeats in my heart. It's resonating like that. And I believe it resonates like that, and it's getting us closer and closer and closer to the truth until our hearts align and we catch this and we're singing on the same plane as the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 15, Paul writes to the church and he says, My beloved, actually, yeah, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. He's talking about the word here, his teaching, not just in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pause for a second. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Salvation is the word sozo. And we just think of salvation as everlasting life. Okay, I'm saved, but now so now I've got everlasting life. The life of Jesus is now within me. But we need to understand that the word salvation has a number of connotations attached to it that are applicable. Yes, it includes everlasting life, but it includes grace, it includes healing, it includes the presence of of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, it includes His power living within us and working through us. All of these things become available to us through our salvation. And Paul is saying, don't just let the salvation be there, but work it out. In other words, give yourself to it, begin to apply it and walk in the power of it let it have effect in your life it's like having medicine and leaving it on your bedside table it makes no difference to you there it needs to find be mixed put into the mix of your body he says for it is god who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure that's the fruit of salvation grace god working in you you see it's the excuse me it's the working out of our salvation that helps us find meaningful expression and fruitfulness in our lives. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Say shine. That's the theme of the rest of today's message. What is the point of moving from cliché to character? So that we may shine. You see, living this way makes us different from the world around us. And folks, that is exactly what God is after. That we don't look like the world. That we don't live like the world. We don't trust in the same natural expectations or probabilities that the world does. We trust in the Word of God in the picture that His Word paints for us, and we give ourselves to that entirely. Now, yes, in what I've shared today, in what I've shared so far about uh, cliché coming into character, we speak a lot of what the Word of God means to us. And yes, God wants to bless you. God wants you to enjoy the benefits of your salvation. That's why He says, work out your salvation. He wants you to experience His blessing. But the primary purpose is not just you and your blessing. The primary purpose is God wants you to live a life that is blessed and empowered by Him so that we can shine His love and nature to the world around us so that they can all see it. Let me put it to you this way. When we have learned to walk in the blessing of God and in the providence of God, we are liberated from the things that the rest of the world seeks after. That's the message of Matthew 6. (coughs) Excuse me. Where God says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He's talking about a different pursuit and a different expectation, a different way of living, so that all these other things that the world seeks after, what we're going to eat, where we're going to live, what we're going to wear, what job, all of those things, I will add them to you. All I want you to do is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, when I've learned to walk in that, I am no longer consumed by... My daily needs. I, I Give us today our daily bread, Lord. I've learned to be content with where I am and with what I've got so that I can take my focus and put my attention away from myself but onto people around me. And I begin to see them. I begin to see their needs. I begin to see what they're crying out for without Jesus. And I get to come into that situation and shine. I'm liberated from the stuff so that I can give myself to being the the, the hand and the, hands and the feet of God in my situation. What a blessing. What a change of perspective. You see, I think also so often, even as Christians, we're so locked in the Word of what God can do for us. Our perception is so much based on what God can do for us. We've forgotten that this is actually really all about what God wants to do through us. It's not about you, and it's not about me. There's a world out there that's needing Jesus. And Jesus invites us into occasions like this where we come together like this this morning and we worship Him and we enjoy His presence and we bow down before Him and we acknowledge His Lordship and we praise Him together for His goodness and all the things that He's done for us and all the things He's done in our lives. And we're recharged and we're refilled and we do that morning by morning because we know that as soon as we walk out of those doors or as soon as we walk out of the doors of our our houses, We're no longer engaged in the same practice in the same way. We now are engaged in a whole new perspective of being watchful for those around us. Watchful for opportunities where that which has happened in secret can show and can flow and can shine. Jesus put it this way... um, Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 to 16 a familiar portion of scripture so i'm going to read it to you this morning twice from two translations that we are less familiar with because they make they bring it home in a different and a new way Jesus says Matthew 5:13 to 16 first of all passion translation your lives are like salt among the people but you like salt if you like salt become bland how can your saltiness be restored flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others. Let's just pause for a moment. I think, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our Christianese and our Christianity in our cliched mindsets are unsalty-saltiness. There are words which are true, but somehow in our lives lack the power that they were intended for. And so therefore, when we bring those words and those into our natural experience, into the lives of other people, they lack the authority and the conviction that enables their power to be at work in their lives. You know, it's interesting when Jesus walked the earth and when He was doing His teaching and His ministry, they said something of Him, they said of very few others. He speaks with authority. You see, when Jesus went places, things happened. The people were healed. Demons were cast out. Blind eyes were opened, spiritual and natural. And so, let's get back to this. Let me not journey too far down that road. But I think you understand what I'm saying. So much of what we we have just considered salt is just not salty anymore. It's not that it's changed. It's not that it's no good. Something in us has to change. All right, verse 14. Your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others, so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father who is in heaven. They'll come to you and they'll say, You light up my... No, they won't. You see, what does light do? Light makes things clear. Without light, there's darkness. You cannot see clearly. You can't make things out. What, you can't make out what's really going on. Salt, what does salt do? Salt savors. In other words, it makes that which doesn't taste great better. It tastes better. That's why chefs are normally insulted when someone puts salt on their food. I made it perfectly. What's wrong with your palate? You want more salt? The other thing salt does is it preserves. It stops things going bad and it actually makes them taste good. Now let's bring this into the context of our daily lives. What does light do in the midst of a workplace situation where there's conflict and contention? You know, when you begin to shine grace, when you begin to shine compassion you bring light into that place and people begin to see by your light the truth of their own actions. Wow, that's powerful. What does salt do? Think again of a workplace or a school situation or even a family situation where salt of one believer is preserving the grace of God within a whole family. The Bible talks about that. Or what about the fact that one person in a family their sweetness in that situation means that when the whole family comes together, or when there's a workplace meeting and everybody's there, there's generally contention. But we know if so and so is there, things will be okay. Things will be okay. It just preserves. And then there's other people that just make every situation good. You just want them around. They're good for a laugh. They're going to bring the best out of every situation, no matter how how bleak it seems. Somehow they manage to paint the silver lining so we can all see it. They give us hope. They give us courage. They give us strength. They pat us on the back and say, come on, you can do this. It's not so bad. You see, the other thing is this. Just a little bit of light in a dark room makes a tremendous impact. Just a pinch of salt on a plate of food makes a tremendous impact. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take standing in the boardroom and preaching, thus saith the Lord. It just takes love. Just takes grace. And here's the other thing that's really interesting the purpose of adding salt to a situation is not to glorify the salt, but to glorify the meal. You add salt to meat because salt makes the meat taste better. You add, when light comes into a room, it is not to parade itself, but it is to reveal everything else that is going on. And this is what we're called to do. To go into situations and make them better, not so that people can say, oh, you're so wonderful, but so that God can work through you, to to actually bring someone's mind and heart concerning another person or their situation to change, to soften, to be open to the Word of God and the grace of His love. Let's read the same scripture again from the message. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it. Let me tell you why you are here. Anyone wonder why are we here? Why am I even here? I'm going to tell you. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Wow. You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll, promote, you'll, you'll prompt people to, be op- to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. This is just such a beautiful picture where those who have found their place in, in, in the kingdom, their, 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 their unity and their oneness with God, who are not striving anymore to gain favor, but are walking in the grace and the blessing of God, have a way of, through their actions, opening up other people's hearts. To the greatness of God through them. It is such a wonderful mystery, but it works. Let me just give you an example. Have any of you ever had the wind taken out of your sails? I've had this happen to me once or twice. You phone somewhere and you're about to read them the riot act. You're going to tell them their future, their fortune, and the whole gedunta, and then break the crystal ball. And they just say something that completely disarms you. That something that you hadn't considered, and then you go, oh. or you come to somebody, and you've been contentious, or you've had a fight with them for a long time, and you come to them, and you know what, I just want to take responsibility for my actions here. I've been wrong, and I've done wrong things, and I've said hurtful, and I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. And I don't say anything about what you've done. I'm sorry for what I've done. <sighs> Isn't that frustrating? Because then now they can't be angry at you anymore. They've just, just, you just disarmed them. But what is the natural... What is the general outworking, unless there's a serious root of bitterness in that person's heart? The general outworking is, okay, I'm sorry too. I'm also sorry. You understand? It's these little things that make a huge difference. All right. Now, let me move on because we're running out of time. The degree to which you and I shine... As lights in this world, or the degree to which we savor the atmospheres we go into is directly equivalent to the degree that you and I are conformed into Christ's likeness. John eight twelve, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay? So we understand that this light is Jesus. It's not just ourselves, it's not just being kind, it's not just being nice. It comes from a far more, a far deeper place, a far more powerful place. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes, chapter 4, from verse 5, saying, If you see, sorry, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. It makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. So we understand that the difference in this is that it's not just me trying to change the situation. It's not just me trying to be, as in my temptation would probably be, it's not just me trying to be funny. It's understanding that there's something deep within me that is shining so bright, that is giving me a sincere and a genuine love for somebody else, and that is causing me to behave towards them in a certain way. You see, the light is the wonderful grace that God extends to us and through us. And this idea is not a very old idea. Uh, Sorry, it's not a very new idea. It's not just Jesus kind of revolutionized this idea. If you think back to the blessing that God commanded Moses to pray over the children of Israel, Numbers 6, 24 to 26, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Could it be that through you, the Lord wants to say, through you, Megan, in your workplace, workplace, be blessed. May Megan shine her face upon you. May she be gracious to you. May she show you the grace and the graciousness of God as it has been shown to her. You see, as God shone upon the nation of Israel, they became His light bearers. And as God shines in our hearts, as Jesus begins to shine in our hearts, we become His light bearers. And I want you to understand something, impo- something, something important. What I'm focusing on today is not just about what you do. This is about who you are. You carry the light of God. Wherever you go, you are the light bearer. You shine. You see, works alone don't change the heart. But at the end of the day, works reveal what's truly in your heart. Let me close off with a couple of scriptures. What is this light that you and I are meant to shine? What does it look like? I believe 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a great picture. Because this light is the love of God. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, we're familiar with it. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy, it's not, does, not boastful, Boastful doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely, it does not seek its own, and it's not provoked. It thinks no evil. No matter what they've done, it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. This love never fails. And so the charge that I want to give you today that I believe is from the Lord for me, that I believe is from the Lord for you today, is found in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It says, arise. So what's the word arise mean? Stand up, please. Arise. Yes. Action. Thank you. Arise, it also means wake up. It means wake up, awaken, awaken, rise up, stand up, and shine. Arise, awake to the love of God in you, and let it shine. Why? For your light has come. You're not waiting for God to do something. God's already done it. You're not waiting for God to save you. You're not waiting for His Word to become powerful and true. It's all done. We need to wake up. We need to arise and we need to shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, look. Look around you. Just close your eyes for a moment. Look with your imagination. Look into your family. Look into your workplace. Look into your school environment. Look into the political arena. Look into... The educational and the healthcare arenas of this world, and you can see that darkness covers the earth and deep darkness covers the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen in the midst of that darkness upon you. And Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Our God, we stand in your presence this morning. And we want to thank you that the light of God, Jesus Christ, lives and dwells in our hearts. Father, we're not waiting on you to do anything. You've already done all that you need to do. We thank you, Lord, for the light of your love, that we are the recipients thereof and also the conduits thereof. We thank you, Lord God, for the places you have positioned us in this world, the families we've been born into, the workplaces that you've sown us into as sons of light into places. We thank You for the relationships and the people that You've brought around us, in the workplace, in our family, our friends, our loved ones. And we thank You for the mission that You have given each and every one of us, each and every day, to shine Your love. Father God, may we take this this Word that is dwelling so richly in our hearts, and may we awaken afresh to the power thereof. Holy Spirit, would You breathe upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name that we would not consider your word to be a cliché, that we would not consider it to be an opinion among many, but would you help us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of your love by the power of your Spirit, that we may be as salt, bringing savoring, bringing preservation to the world around us, that we may be as lights, demonstrating what your love looks like. And so, God, we stand here, and we say, Lord, we're awakening And Lord, where we are sleepy, would you come and shake us awake? Would you come and work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure as you promise? We avail our hearts to you today, and we say, God, make us shine, that your glory may be seen upon us, that we may lead many to the love of Jesus Christ, which saves and which delivers and which heals. So thank you that you are at work. Thank you that we are transitioning from knowing about You, to deeper and higher levels of experience in our journey with You and in the working out of our own salvation. So we thank You for this morning. We thank You for this Word. We thank You for Your Spirit mightily at work within us. We rise. Help us shine. In the name of Jesus, we pray and say, Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.